Welcome to The Pulpit, Calvary Moravian's weekly sermon podcast. I'm Pastor Lane Sapp. And I'm Pastor Chaz Snyder. We hope you'll be able to use this recording of last week's sermon to dwell deeper in God's Word. Our epistle lesson today is from 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 6 through 13. Now we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who is living in idleness and not in accord with the tradition that you received from us. For yourselves know how you ought to imitate us. We were not idle when we were with you. We did not eat anyone's bread without paying, but with toil and labor, we worked night and day that we might not burden any of you. It was not because we have not that right, but to give you in our conduct an example, example to imitate. For even when we were with you, we gave you this command. If anyone will not work, let him not eat. For we hear that some of you are living in idleness mere busybodies, not doing any work. Now such persons we command and extort in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work in quietness and to earn their own living. Brethren, do not be weary in well-doing. Please stand for the reading of the gospel. Our gospel lesson is from Luke chapter 2, verses 5 through 19. And as some spoke of the temple, how it was adorned with noble stones and offerings, he said, As for these things which you see, the days will come when there shall not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And they asked him, Teacher, when will this be, and what will be the sign when this is about to take place? And he said, Take heed that you are not led astray, for many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and the time is at hand. Do not go after them, and when you hear of wars and tumults, do not be terrified, for this must first take place but the end will not be at once. Then he said to them, Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be great earthquakes, and in various places famines and pestilences, and there will be terrors and great signs from heaven. But before all this, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons, and you will be brought before kings and governors for my name's sake. This will be time for you to bear testimony. Settle it, therefore, in your minds, not to mediate beforehand, not to answer, for I will give you a mouth and wisdom which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. You will be delivered up, even by parents 
and brothers and kinsmen and friends, and some of you they will put to death. You will be hated for all my name's sake, but not a hair on your head will perish. By your endurance, you will gain your lives. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks, Thanks be to God. Y'all may be seated. Let us pray together. God, our Redeemer, all of creation sings your praise. You show us the ways of justice and of mercy, the ways of love and grace. So help us to follow Christ, our Lord, as we seek to be faithful and ever sustained by your spirit. Help us that we might be agents of your reconciliation in the world. God, as the scriptures are read and your word is pro proclaimed before us, Reveal to each of us the way of your salvation by the power of your Holy Spirit, that we might not grow weary doing what is right. In your name we pray. Amen. So before we turn to communion this morning, I want to offer some brief thoughts on our gospel lesson that we just read uh, a moment ago. According to this gospel lesson today, Jesus uh, would do a pretty miserable job of leading the new members class of a congregation, I think. Rather than leading with the promises of heaven or the greatness of how, uh, of how church service could be or how the greatness of a community, he launches right into how bad and awful it's going to be for anyone who chooses to follow him. He's really leading with the worst kind of stuff. He says there'll be wars, there will be rebellions, there'll be famines, and even the sky will seem like it's coming apart. He says the faithful will be taken hostage, they will be abandoned by their families, and some even executed. This, Jesus says, is what you are signing up for if you choose to follow him. Now, these words can definitely strike us as rather odd particularly from the normal confines of our Sunday morning worship experience. And also very strange words to welcome someone into the faith with. So glad you're here, but in full disclosure, this is what you're signing up for, just a mild bit of pestilence and persecution. But the truth is that faith does demand your life even if you don't give it away all at once. So that's what I want to talk about a bit this morning. And what I want to define what I mean when I say that faith demands your life. Now, there is a difference. This doesn't mean that the church demands your whole life. There are things that we do as a church body to keep going as a vibrant life as a vibrant life-giving community. We need people to give their time, their resources, and commit to doing this thing that we call church. But church isn't here to guilt you into giving all that you have to an organization. That's not what Jesus is saying here. Church is a community that equips, that refills, that empowers that it, to you to go and live in the world. 
and that faith goes with you wherever you go. And this is what it means to say that faith demands your whole life. It's a perspective change. It's a new set of lenses when you look out into the world. One doesn't have to, one doesn't have to live by the mantras that our world lives by. That's what it means for faith to take over the wholeness of one's life. We don't have to live by the narratives that the world often likes to give. Narratives of greed, of self-promotion, of attacking one's enemies, of putting yourself before others. You see, faith allows you to see the world differently, to see the world through an ethic of love and grace. This is what we mean by an all-encompassing faith. It changes how we see everything. It gives us a new perspective that's grounded in the reality of Christ, which is one of grace and one of love. So that's what it means for faith to demand all that we have, to take up our entire life. And the second aspect of this that I think is really important to mention and to define is this doesn't mean that you have to feel guilty when you think you've fallen short. Doesn't mean that you, have, that you are to be made to feel guilty. See, faith is not about competition. It's not about how well we perform this thing called faith. It's not an achievement that we reach. It's not something that anyone else can tell you that you have arrived at. And any attempt to make one another feel guilty for where they are in faith is not an act of discipleship or mentorship. But rather, this is someone who has turned faith into some kind of sign of moral achievement, not an act of pure grace. And this is what our faith truly is, an act of pure grace. So as we move to the communion table this morning, as we think about what it means to be the body of Christ and to give all of our life to faith, I want to offer a few thoughts of how we live out this all-encompassing faith. And one of these might seem like it's pretty straightforward, but it's something that I don't think should be glossed over. And that's being a part of a church is central to this. Staying involved in a community of faith. Being a committed part of a community that isn't like other communities that we have in the world. That's what makes the church different. You see, oftentimes we like to complicate church. But the simple basic aspect of the church is that we are a community that cares and supports one another. Now we do a lot of other things, but at its fundamental level, this is what it means to be the body of Christ. That we can reflect that care back into the world. That we support one another and that then we go out and share that support in the world. We love one another as Christ loved each of us. And, it can some, and sometimes we can complicate how, and, and it can be complicated to figure out how to do this. It's much easier said than done to be the church, especially in an ever-changing world. But what makes a community like this different? 
is that you open yourself up to be cared for. And then in doing so, you also care for others. And that's not an easy thing to do. Sometimes it's easier to care for others. Sometimes it's easier to go out and support others than it is to open yourself up to be cared for. But that's also part of what we're called to do. To say that I need that grace in my life and I need someone else to help me live out that grace in the world. And the church, the community, when it's acting out of what it is intended to be, becomes a place where this grace becomes a reality. And to do this, we have to, we have to make sacrifices, large and small, to make a community like this happen. Just like being in a family, a church community requires us to make sacrifices. Time, resources, emotional vulnerability, trust, our busy schedules, all of these things are part of what it means to be the body of Christ. Just like doing anything worth doing, sacrifices have to be made. And as a community, as a church, we have to be a place that shows that these sacrifices are worth being made. We have to bring our care for one another to the forefront of what we do as the body of Christ. You see, many of us on a daily basis, I would say, feel the weight of the world. We feel the struggles of life, the struggles to go day to day, week to week, the struggles of making it, of raising kids, of being a family, all of those struggles, they weigh on each of us. But the message of Christ tells us that we can be here for one another in the midst of that. Not as a message of guilt or obligation or some sort of moral achievement or that you have arrived at something over someone else. That's not what the church community is about. It is about loving one another in the same way that Christ loved us. Because the message of Christ tells us a new story. It tells us the story of new life. When these struggles of the world bear down on us and the realities, the realities of death and struggle and anxieties, they seem like they're taking over. The message of Christ tells a new story. Because the message of Christ is about new life. New life in places to where we did not think life was possible. And the most compelling evidence of the resurrection is the church. That those who have proclaimed Christ is alive believed so boldly in what they preached that they were willing to give their lives for it. That's what we read about in the gospel lesson today. Now, it may seem like our faith today is too tame or like it cannot connect to this history that we have talked about. But it's important to remember, even when we gather for worship today, that we gather to proclaim a word that was passed down through this faith, this faith of others, who held on to the hope that was found in their communities, that was found in their love and care for one another, 
And that led to more communities. And that led to more communities. Generation after generation, the church continues through different times, through different cultures, through different realities. The reality of the church has still, has still maintained itself. And these ideas, I think, come into a really interesting intersection this Sunday. Because we're doing two practices of the church. We have communion for the chief eldership of Christ, and we have church council. Now, at first, these things may not seem like, the mo- like they have the most in common. But I think there's an interesting thing that collides this morning. You see, communion, the ritual in which we remember that we are the body of Christ. Each of us take that cup and that wafer and that we are reminded that God came to each of us in Christ. And then we carry Christ out in to the world. And in particular, this Sunday, we remember that Christ is not just the center of our lives, but of the church, that Christ is our chief elder, not built on human hierarchy. We're not meant to follow the ways of the world, but Christ remains the chief elder of the church. So these two things come together because we're doing the work of the church this morning. A work that may seem mundane and tedious in something like church council. Perhaps it's not the most exciting thing we do in the church year. But like communion, it represents a tangible aspect of our faith. To have a community requires work. And that work is both spiritual and practical. But it's always centered on Christ. So this morning, let us do the work of of the church at our council and at our table. Let us pray. God, we thank you for the work that is before us. So meet us with your presence now at this table and renew us to do the task of the church and nourish us at your communion table this morning. In Christ's name we pray, amen.